think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Uh, got a very special episode tonight. Uh, we're getting back with some some guests joining us, and we've got a, an awesome guest with us tonight, who I will introduce here momentarily. So, uh, first off, I want to open up and just uh, ask everybody if you enjoyed uh, last week's episode. So that was the Antler and Finn episode with uh, Adam talking about uh venison euros and uh kebabs so it, it was a good episode i enjoyed it adam i'll tell you that i liked it but uh out there if you did enjoy the episode or if you didn't enjoy the episode uh leave us some feedback uh you can rate the episode you can rate the show and post a comment about it whatever you want to do uh but we'd love the feedback you can send us an email to what's cooking at harvestingnature.com we all get those and uh it's just great to see it folks uh you know comment let us know what's going on and then next week uh we're gonna have a crew chat uh take place and we're gonna be discussing the controversy of soaking uh wild meat in ice water um we we posted a youtube video a while back uh, which was featured on the sporting chef and it caused uh quite the quite the i don't know fury on social media there's definitely people on the right and the left side of that some people swear up and down that uh the only way to eat venison is if it's been soaked in an, an ice water bath in a cooler for hours and hours or days uh so we sort of want to discuss it i think in more detail uh give some perspective dive deeper than what our what adam two and a half three minute video went into uh both with some of us on the crew who have been butchering uh animals a long time and and we'll talk about some of the meat science and stuff like that so that'll be a great episode uh to, to tune into so keep an eye out for that and uh today so what i really want to focus on is um really wild game as an ingredient how it's a really awesome ingredient and then i want to talk about some advanced uh techniques for cooking wild game 
and when I introduce our guest and when we go through some of the topics here, you'll you'll see why I uh, why I centered in on that. But I'm really excited. Uh, I've been trying to get Larry on the show for a while. I think the failure was probably mostly on my part, which is okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> here we are. So we're we're here, which is good. That's the most important thing. And then uh, quickly some updates for me. So we're like in the middle of goose season here in Colorado. I've been going every weekend with my daughter. We're going out to a, uh, a Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, State Trust Land. It's also a sod farm, but it's a youth-only area. And so I've been going out with her. Uh, we've had some mixed weather here in Colorado. The first time we went out, it was like negative 10 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And then uh, whenever we went out last weekend, it you know the morning started off in the 30s and by the time we were packing up geese it was almost 50 degrees so uh it's been kind of varied it's late season two so we're seeing these big giant flocks of geese sort of moving around uh i think uh we're gonna have to plus up our decoy spread a little bit because our trouble was we weren't getting birds into the into the decoys or close enough to shoot and uh we don't want to sky bust or try to shoot really really high at some of those high flying flocks but tons of geese out there just not hit a shootable distance for us so we're headed back out here in a couple days this next weekend and and hopefully gonna fulfill that and then um in about a week or two adam and i'll be heading off to goose camp in missouri uh which would be a cool time to interact with some folks there go go snow goose hunting uh eat some snow goose cook some snow goose and all that fun jazz so uh i don't know adam uh updates from you uh not too much happening uh the freeze has been hasn't been very good this year so the ice hasn't been great for getting out fishing uh so i haven't really done any fishing yet um i think on the last podcast i was talking about going out for my first rabbit hunt uh which was fun but uh we didn't get anything uh we found thousands of tracks and we had the dogs going and we were humping through two or three feet of snow the whole time and falling and whatever it was exhausting but but fun and we finally spooked a couple rabbits at uh the very end which is right beside a house so we um couldn't shoot at them uh but but it was still fun in the end and uh i got to tag along with my buddy he's a trapper and we pulled a muskrat muskrat out of his trap and he sent it home with me to cook so i've yet to cook it but i'm excited to to try it out because i haven't cooked muskrat before so so we'll see how that goes. I've heard mixed reviews. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Um, in my experience, everyone, everything I've ever heard about meat that tastes bad isn't true. So I'm excited to see how this muskrat nice. turns out. That's about it for me. Know, Larry, have you tried muskrat before? I have not. No. Uh, yeah, never. I don't, I don't think I know anybody that's tried it either. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I mean, like, uh, down Louisiana, probably like the closest thing would be like Nutria. But I don't know about muskrat itself. Did he keep the hide? Oh, yeah. Did he keep the hide at him, or? Yeah, yeah, he kept the hide, and I took home the nice. carcass. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'll let you guys know on our next podcast how it went. Yeah, how the cooking please went. do. So, all right. Well, uh, I alluded to who our guest is, so I'll just go ahead and uh, introduce him. So, our guest is a hunter, avid outdoorsman, writer, and former restaurant chef whose life revolves around food and being in wild places. 
He grew up in the foothills of North Carolina, spending his childhood hunting, fishing, and walking the woods as much as possible. He started his professional cooking career in the U.S. Coast Guard as a culinary specialist before returning to college and obtaining a bachelor's degree in culinary arts. After that, he went to work in fine dining establishments in Charleston, South Carolina, and it continued, uh, you know, it seems like a pretty lengthy uh, restaurant career to include owning uh, his own restaurant and food truck. And then he started his website, uh, The Wild Game Gourmet, back in 2017. And uh, if you follow him on social media, which you should, you'll see he's got a strong uh, Instagram following uh, where he shares delicious wild food recipes uh, as reels, which is awesome. So, uh, Larry White, welcome to the uh, Wild Fish and Game podcast. Yeah, man. Thank God for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if you don't mind, uh, build build upon your intro for us and uh, share a little bit about yourself, sort of how you got into the outdoors and, you know, that intersection of, uh, of wild food and, and the culinary world. Uh, yeah, man. From uh, North Carolina, um, my dad was a pretty big outdoorsman, um, had me out since basically I could walk. Uh, started off hunting earlier on in my uh hunting career and my dad ended up getting hurt on the job so we switched to fishing pretty much until i was a late teenager um and then kind of got back into in the hunting scene after that um uh we were pretty much small game of deer hunting you know we didn't travel it was just you know that was what was around us and that's what we hunted for the most part and man uh north carolina certainly has a, a lot a lot of deer for sure a lot of opportunities to get out and hunt a lot of wild places yeah it's yeah growing up i wasn't really much into like chasing big bucks you know it was like if i saw you know a doe or something i was going to shoot it but the the after leaving you know the county i ended up leaving uh you know they were notorious for having giant deer but i just never <laughs> never grind around and chasing them that's fair it's uh yeah i i i'm the same way yeah i was to say yeah um pr- pretty much pretty much pretty much after that went off to to college and then um decided business degree wasn't for me and ended up getting in the coast guard man it just kind of took off from there nice and uh how was your transition from the coast guard back into school and sort of uh getting into restaurants what uh how did all that occur i'm able it, it was pretty smooth um i somewhat strategically planned it out so um i know you're familiar with the 87 foot cutters yep um so that's an independent du- you're an independent duty chef so you're you run the kitchen you do everything so i basically took that job and trained myself you know basically how to cook properly not that you know the coast guard culinary school initially was was pretty good for what it is um and then i just used those guys you know the coast guard cook sorry if you're out there listening to this but back in the day they were notorious <laughs> for just not cooking great food and man like i I literally used those guys as my guinea pigs, you know, like I cooked, I was on there for three years and I bet I, I switched the menu up every single week and I just tried new recipes and techniques for three years straight on the ship. And so, uh, when I got out, I went straight into fine dining and culinary school and personal chef on the side of, all at once. So I just kind of jumped into the fire. Nice. And, uh, how, how was the Charleston food scene then? I know it's definitely grown tremendously. Uh, there's a lot of great food that comes out of that part of the country. Yeah, I, I got here right when it started uh, blowing up in, in 2006. Um, you know, the food world kind of kind of switched. Like David Chang, you know, had 
started opening up his uh, Momofuku, so everything was kind of switching from, like, the glamorous fine dining to, like, you know, hole-in-the-wall, really good food, charcuterie, using sous vide machines and all that stuff. So it was, like, it was a good time to, to be getting into it. Nice. And uh, you, you had your own place in a in food truck as well. How how was that experience? It was good. The restaurant ended up being a, a bad business deal, but um, the the food truck was was awesome. Uh, I ended up having a uh, a business partner that I knew through a, a friend back in college back in the day, and uh, I kind of helped him open his up. And kinda, he did, he was just an entrepreneur. He didn't know how to cook, so I kind of trained him up and helped him open his. And we ended up joining uh, forces and opening a restaurant together. Um, it was great. It was great while it lasted, but uh, but yeah, it's bad business deal. Got out oh, of there. But sorry to hear that. Good experience. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot. <laughs> I, I, I've learned in life that some of the you know circumstances like that where things don't go as you expect them to, you end up walking away with a lot more knowledge. But man, it comes at the cost of a lot of gray hair. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, and what was so? What got you back into sort of cooking more wild game, and then you know eventually creating your website? What what was the story behind that? Um, so that kind of flows. Uh, the restaurant deal kind of flows into it. So my wife was pregnant with our first child right when I decided to leave the restaurant, and I sold my food truck, um, stashed the money away, and just decided to be a stay-at-home dad for a while till I figured things out because I knew I didn't want to be gone until like two in the morning I just didn't want that lifestyle anymore uh I just wanted to focus on my family so started wild game gourmet as kind of like a hobby to figure out what I wanted to do and um without being in the coast guard or restaurant scene you know I was like man I want to be back in the woods it's kind of where I belong you know so I just kind of started that my free time was was hunting and fishing again and and writing about it and um a big kicker too was the health. I used to be pretty big into bodybuilding back in the day, and you're just cramming your face full of whatever you can to gain weight <laughs> and muscle. And um, you know, I guess as I got older, I was just like, man, that stuff. I'm, I'm just eating massive amounts of crap, to put it mm-hmm. bluntly. You know, and I was like, you know, wild game is the best meat you can possibly source. You know, as long as you're not hunting over feeders. And I was like, man, this. I'm just. I'm into this. You know, this is what I'm doing. I want the best food possible, and I just want to be healthy for myself and my family. You know. You still do uh, still do any bodybuilding or trying, man? Uh, when COVID hit, I ended up I don't know if it was stress or whatever. Ended up having some like gut issues and lost probably man probably thirty pounds of muscle. Oh wow! I'm better now, but I'm trying to pack it back on. So yeah, still st- still into health and eating healthy and stuff like that. But I'm I'm a far cry from what I used to be. <laughs> So one of our uh, one of our field staff writers, uh, JP, he's a big uh, he's a big bodybuilder, and he's uh, you know he talks a lot when he and I chat about the how like wild games probably like one of the best sort of like natural protein forms you can get, so clean and so beneficial for you. you what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. It's I feel better after i eat it i mean i'll still enjoy like grass-fed beef and it's it's great but i just it's i just feel lighter on my feet and just feel better you know mentally and physically after just consuming wild game you know consistently without mixing in some junk food or some other stuff what's the challenge that's what i face like i love wild game and i'll eat wild (laughs) game but it's like mixing in that (laughs) junk food i'm like oh man that bag of chips or those cookies look great (laughs) 
Oh, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll crush a family-sized bag of tortilla chips in one city. That's fair. Can't deny yourself everything. Yeah. Um, nice. No, that's cool. Um, and how how do you feel like your website's taken off? I know your social media following is pretty large. Do you get a, a good, good, sizable following on, uh, on on your website as well? Yeah, it's good. Um, I put it on the back burner for probably like close to three years just to focus on learning video, uh, editing videos, um, just trying to learn every aspect of it because I'd built websites before from other ventures I'd done. So I kind of knew I could sort of play catch up. Mm-hmm. Kind of wish I wouldn't have done that now. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's going great. I'm actually just fi- finished kind of rebuilding it. And um, that's primarily my focus now is to ramp up the website and then just you know put content out on every platform now i was uh i was looking at your website it looks i like the way it's organized i was clicking through it uh yesterday when i was writing the talking points and i was like you click you click into venison and then you click into the individual cuts and like then you get into the recipes and i was like that's i like the way that that's organized um uh it, it makes it very convenient especially if you're looking for a specific thing it makes it more approachable versus like you know, go into a website and you're like, oh, well, I've got, you know, a sirloin. Let me just search sirloin on their website and see what pops up. And uh, I, it, it was a cool approach when I noticed that. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my main questions. It's like, you know, what what I'll use for this recipe. And I was like, if everybody's asking that, you know, it's, I have to do it that way. Or, you know, not that I don't mind asking questions, but I know it's going to benefit, you know, people tenfold by taking the extra time and categorizing it. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, we we've been pushing that a lot too with like uh, our like cooking by cut series and everything like that. Just trying to get people more focused on you know you go to the processor and you get back you get back steaks, you get back roast, you get back ground meat, and you get back backstrap. And it's like, well, you know, there's yep. there's 15 different cuts that can be used as a roast that are all different. And then you get those steaks. You either get like the like cross cut bone steaks. Where's it? What Adam? What do you call that? Something specific, Adam? When you? Yeah, it's like, like a, a leg, leg steak. steak. It's, it's like, like leg steak. All the muscles in yeah. the back <laughs> okay. am just like cross cut. And it's like each one has different characteristics. And it's just like, um, I think you know, I I grew up in that way, and I'm just like, man, I wish from a younger age, like I knew maybe my grandfather my uncles everybody knew like the approach to take with it and i think we'd probably see a a wider span of use for game meat i find you get more game meat out of it too if you if you break it all down into different cuts and and you pay more attention to what you're taking off the animal you end up with more meat in the end to cook with and more meals uh then you don't need to kill as many things which i've always enjoyed you can you can just get more bang for your buck basically yeah i tend to not um it shocks most people but like i grind like very very minimal like i i don't want to say to order but as needed like i keep everything as whole as possible and if i want ground meat that week i just grind it then it's kind of a pain but i uh, swear i've been doing it for a while yeah i'm i'm with you it's just it makes more sense because like i never know you know i never know like oh i need a grind recipe or i need 15 pounds of ground meat and out of this one deer or i want you know i want more whole cuts i think it's 
you once you cut it, once you grind it, you can't go back. But the other way is grinding's always an option. No. <laughs> um, you know, and I'll I'll say this too, like I've got a friend he when we go up and hunt in Wyoming, him and his wife like pronghorn antelope in like chili and meatballs. And so he'll just get the whole thing ground. And I'm like, you know what, man? Do do whatever makes you happy. Like, works. I, I asked him, I was like, yeah. last time I was like, you should get a pack of steaks. Like, just like try to get something, like try something different. He's like, ah, oh, like, I'll try it. And then he messaged me a couple weeks later and he's like, tried the steaks. Like, they're good. He goes, we followed a recipe off the website. Uh, but we still like the meat. We like the meatballs and the chili. Like, that's the way we like to do it. And I'm like, cool man as long as you're like you're happy yeah. with it like that's that's good with me oh yeah yeah sure so sort of like on the opposite side of the spectrum um a lot of the stuff that i see you're doing is kind of uh more advanced which definitely uh i think comes from your fine dining background uh some more like detailed steps that you take to sort of prepare game what uh was that just a transition that you found from just cooking in restaurants and then and messing with wild game? Yeah. Um, transition. And then I'm curious and I take risk with food more than anything. So it's kind of that, like I'm all like, I'm not picky. I'll pretty much eat anything. So if I mess a recipe up, I'm still going to eat it. So it's one of those things like, you know, I go hunt all this food. I don't, pay astronomical prices for it i might as well play around figure out what works if it doesn't work i eat it if it works i eat it and tell everybody about it you know i definitely uh i can see that come through in some of the recipes it's like man that's like you're like pushing the edge of like some people are going to get squirmy in their seat watching you cook it but others are going to be like that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh which which i think is great yeah i get some funny that's some awesome funny comments <laughs> Yeah, I think I. Yeah, m- m- most people are pretty cool about it. You know, you have random people like, you know, what are you doing? Oh yeah, there's <laughs> always those, always those folks. Especially mm-hmm. you put things out there on social media, and I've learned it's just like, as awesome as the recipe can be, and is like as straightforward and delicious and like beautiful picture, beautiful video, like straightforward presentation. Somebody's gonna be like, have a negative comment about it. And I'm just like, I don't get it, but I've just now learned to like sensitize myself and like understand that probably 20% of the feedback I get is going to be like a negative or somebody critiquing it. And then the other like 70% or 80% is going to be like, oh yeah, no, that's absolutely awesome. But it's just kind of like, everybody's got an opinion and <laughs> they're going to share it with you, whether you want to hear it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and t- 10 of those 20% are probably just angry at the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, keyboard warriors just like it definitely had to. <laughs> yeah, definitely had to throw, grow a thicker skin, uh, posting stuff on Facebook for into the public for everyone to comment on and react to. But it's very rewarding yeah. too at the same time. So, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's put two sides. So um, yeah, definitely. You're primarily. Are you still primarily cooking? Uh, I've seen on there waterfowl, uh, venison. I didn't see much small game. Do you get much into small game now? I, I I roam by myself. You know, I'm not as big into it as like it's deer, but I do a little bit of squirrel, um, rabbit. I mean, that's kind of about it. You know, if I have free time, you know, I'll, I'll go out and take advantage. But um, I spend so much time in, in the field around deer season. It's like I try to <laughs> cut back and hang out with the family a little bit more. Sure, sure. So what would you say are your, your top favorites of uh, wild game meats? 
Oh man, probably probably venison is number one. Um, I love I love wild boar. I don't eat it as much because I like I said earlier when I had like the uh, stomach mm-hmm. issues, I, I still can't digest like a lot of fatty meat. So lean is better for me. But I love I love bear and I love I love pork. I can't eat a ton of it, but I love it. That's probably like my top three. Nice. And then for quantity wise, people think I'm crazy. I love Canada, a Canada, a good Canada goose, man, because you get so much meat off of it compared to like a regular sized duck. Yeah, man, that's one of my favorites as well. I love yeah. love geese. Yeah. Um, Adam, what are what are your? T- I don't think I've ever asked you. I don't think I've ever asked you this of like what what are your top, what are your top three. Oh, top three or top fifteen? Um, I don't know. You pick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it'd probably be geese and duck and then deer, I'd probably say, and that's because I haven't had too much bear moose or anything in the freezer. Like I get to cook with those three things mm-hmm. most often, I think, uh, I cook a lot of grouse, but they're, they're fun, but they're nothing too fancy. It's kind of like a chicken. Um, but I like the I like geese is my number one for some similar reasons. Like I actually like the flavor; they're exciting to cook with. You get a ton of meat. They're so much fun to hunt. Um, totally misunderstood. Uh, you can make some incredible meals out of goose, and uh, they challenge you sometimes because they can be like what, like twenty years old when you shoot them or something. So every once in a while, you gotta challenge yourself to to you know cook it properly and still make it taste good. Yeah, I think yeah. Oh, you? Um, I think for me, probably like my number one is pronghorn antelope. I love, love, love the pronghorn, the flavor of pronghorn antelope. I think it's like out of all the wild game, it's like very unique. Also love the like the history of pronghorn and like also the conservation history too. And like they're like to me in my mind, that animal was like the symbol of the American West. I know people talk about the buffalo and all that, but like the rise and fall of the pronghorn antelope is like almost as drastic. Um, and I think it's just super cool and the meat's phenomenal. They're super fun to hunt. I like getting out on the open, uh, plains or prairie or whatever you want to call it. And, and hunting those guys are, they're such a cool, uh, species. And then probably, um, probably venison next. So this good old, Good old fatty white tail. I do like mule deer too, but there's something about like I grew up in southeastern Oklahoma, and like I think the white tail deer there tastes phenomenal. Um, but that's also what I grew up eating, so I'm kind of partial to that. And and wild pig, like I've <laughs> yeah. grown to appreciate wild pigs so so much. You know, uh, we just shot them, shoot them, shoot them when we were younger because they were a problem and a nuisance. But like. As I gotten older, and, and especially the more time we spend at pig camp, and the more time we talk about cooking and eating wild pig, and the more that I eat it, I'm just like, this is such a, it's such a flavorful and unique um, cut of meat. It's just like it's the animal, something about it. But I can tell you this, and this is the honest truth, is that I will I will still eat like. I would still eat uh, domestic bison and grass-fed beef and, you know, all that. But I have not bought domestic pork since, you know, in the last, like, four years. 
I think just because I think the flavor of wild pig is so much better that you buy something from the store and it's just kind of bland. It was a very long-winded answer to a simple question. (laughs) 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 Um, That was good. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Larry, I want to go back to you. Enough talking about me. You're here. You're here to talk to us. So, um, <laughs> uh, so you, we talked about sort of like pushing the edge of uh, kind of the recipes and like seeing what you can do. How do you how do you pick your recipes? How do you pick your ingredients? Like, what's what's your inspiration behind some of your stuff? Uh, I, I think about that a, a, a lot, and my my answer is probably not as great <laughs> as most people <laughs> would think, but. Um, I, I kind of treat it like in in restaurants, like in fine dining, like when you come up with a special, like you would come up with a special literally like that day. So it's I kind of treat it like that. I don't put a whole lot of like if I plant it for two days, it's probably going to come out horrible. If I like look at my refrigerator and see a couple of ingredients or if I'm walking the grocery store to farmer's market, you know, and I think of something like and it hits me like those are the good ideas. So I'm like kind of putting stuff together like that. I mean, I go about things a little bit different if i'm really trying to pair mm-hmm. stuff but that really comes down to if it's like a simple cook i'm going to go with simple ingredients if it's a braise no matter the animal i'll tend to go a little bit louder but like if it's anything i'm cooking medium rare rare or something like that it's pretty much always going to be simple ingredients unless i'm just have a crazy idea to, <laughs> to try something out which is the perfect transition for the one of the first recipes I wanted to talk about was this this two months aged beeswax venison loin. Like that does not scream simple to me, yeah. Larry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 sim- simple to throw together, but sure. yeah, uh, I tasted it. It's 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 funky. It's good, but it's it's funky and it cooks up really weird. Uh, the two week I did it for two two to, between two and three weeks last year when I first read about mm-hmm. it, and that was a whole lot better. It was phenomenal. This one, like, if you push it that long, like you absolutely, it's almost like you're treating it like tuna. Like just barely sear it on both sides and eat it. Like I cooked one piece. I try to cook it to medium rare, like maybe on the edge, pushing medium, and it it almost foamed up it was weird it was like this weird huh. dense yeah it was it was odd so originally um, when you did it the first super odd yeah when, really, the texture was really weird when you did it the first time you just did it for a couple weeks yeah i believe i aged it for a week just let it hang out on a wire rack in the fridge to dry up a little bit 
and then I think I put the wax on there for probably a little over two weeks. I'd have to look back at my notes, but it, that was that was super good. Like that was really really. How good. much how much beeswax do you need, or how much loin did you use? The cut didn't look super big. It was probably three quarters. I, I had two separate pieces, so I did probably like three quarters of a loin. I cut it cut it in half and then did those separately. Um, and last year probably do a little bit less if i got a half of a loin that's wild and what was the the flavor of of the non-foamy one it was super great it was like reminiscence of like a dry steak but with venice you know to have a lot of fat or what it's it was still moist Mm -hmm. you know it was like a dry steak but it was still moist and just kind of real earthy and a deep flavor um but then again like i still even with that i probably wouldn't take it much past medium rare i mean i'll probably keep that one as rare as possible yeah yeah that sounds it but that's another weird weird oh no no, no go ahead please uh, i was saying I'm, i usually do funny stuff with my venison loins i don't um i eat my steaks mostly from the hind legs like all my venison loins, i usually cure them and eat them like i guess raw basically you know just a quick cure i'll do something funny like that or tartare or something I, most people really want the loin for a steak but i'm kind of opposite man like i just will play with it and he'll cure it and eat it like you know sausage or you know just something basically where you haven't done much to it um it's kind of so that's kind of what adam and i were talking about the other day i don't know adam if you want to expand into it like some of your like favorite cuts and then like the flavor difference between the two because I, I i was just talking to somebody about this today at work and i was like we were talking about uh pork loins and i just kind of got into this weird rant which i tend to do uh especially people that don't eat a lot of wild game and they're like oh my gosh here it goes again but uh i was talking about how like i think <laughs> similar to adam's thought on this uh front shoulder and some of the cuts on the back are carrying more flavor than those on the on the loin so i don't know adam i'll let you i'll let you go on i don't want to steal your thunder Yeah, just I, I find myself more and more um, gravitating towards the kind of the strange cuts in, in strange in quotes, like up from the shoulders and from the, the Denver steaks and the, the steaks off the back legs and uh, getting into rib meat and all these different things and finding so much more flavor and fun in, in cooking those cuts. And uh, I like a backtrack steak or a tenderloin, but they're definitely not my go-to's nor my top favorites and you know if someone's sharing I've had people share some of their hunts with me or their uh, harvest with me and uh, they're like I don't want to give too much backstrap I'm like just keep all the backstrap give me the shanks give me the the spine give me all the weird shit that you don't want all the the (laughs) neck and everything and and that's what I'm really excited about and I like anecdotally I'm finding that the more I talk to people who are really into cooking wild game uh, and experimenting with it, not just cooking it daily in a, in a normal situation, but experimenting with it. I'll kind of find the same thing. Like they don't end up with much grind anymore and they don't gravitate towards the tenderloins at all and the loins less so. And they, they find joy in finding all the nice, good tasting um, pieces of meat found elsewhere on the animal. Uh, and it's, uh, it's kind of a fun journey for me. I, I've been really enjoying it. Well, I'll I'll transition. No, I, I think I think I'm definitely like of the same mind in that. And the more that I think about it, the more too it's like flavor 
texture. There's lot, lots that are playing into it um, as I start looking at other cuts. But I want to deviate a little bit from talking about just the meat particularly. And uh, Larry, I really am curious on your take on uh, the Yorkshire puddings. First off, could you explain to everybody what Yorkshire puddings are? And then second off, we'll talk about how you incorporate duck fat into it. So what, uh, what, what are Yorkshire puddings? It's essentially like a giant popover. I don't know if you have pop. So it's, it, it rises, but it's, it's basically relying on air. Well, I, I, I try to whip air into mine by using a blender and kind of, I mean, I could nerd out on that, but, um, so it's basically relying like on eggs for the rise and, and some air. Um, and you're cooking it super hot. Um, that's an earth, but you know, most breads are cooked at a relatively medium temperature, you know, and get some high breads, but this one's, you're having like a rocking hot oven and you're wanting the bread to, to rise. And, um, the fat comes into play because you want whatever cooking vessel, whether you're using a popover pan or a muffin tin, like you want like a tablespoon or two tablespoons of fat in the bottom of there while you preheat the, uh, the pan mm-hmm. to get it rocking hot. And, uh, that's kind of why. I eat those every holiday for for Christmas and sometimes Thanksgiving. I was like, I want another way to utilize the fat that I have, and I figure with I'm using all this fat, I might as well put it in my bread too. You know? <laughs> how do you do you eat them just right? I've never had one. I'll admit. Uh, how do you eat it? Just like just like a roll? I don't know. Don't judge me, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some some folks <laughs> they're 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 delicious. I mean, they can be dense if they're not made properly, mm-hmm. I guess. But like. Most most people like kind of pop them open, pour gravy in there, and like they're kind of if they're made properly, they're kind of airy with a hole in, in the middle. And I'll take meat and dump gravy in there. It's not sophisticated at all, and just you know hold it like a sandwich and just scarf it down and dip it up some gravy some gravy with it. You know, Ooh, that sounds good. See, I'm glad that's you know we. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to the intro of the show, but we always warn people to eat before they listen, and I sometimes make the bad habit of not eating before we record, <laughs> and then I get hungry. But today I ate; otherwise, I would be hungry after this conversation. I think. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's move into the next one here, which uh, your smoked whitetail shoulder holiday ham. So, uh, love it sounds delicious it looked delicious when you were shredding it off the blade um in the in the reel so what are your thoughts on using the shoulders for like ham and things versus the back quarters which traditionally that's where you'd find a ham it's it's great i mean i kind of went that route because if if not that the back legs can't be juicy but most people I, i call it I nicknamed that dish the converter dish because I took that home for Christmas and there's people that don't like eating deer because they think they're cute and everything. I let each person try it and it was gone in 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> but it just it's just super juicy and it's like shredded like barbecue, but it, it tastes exactly like a ham. And it's just, it's more unctuous, I guess you could say, than the preparation with the back leg, which is delicious in its own right, but it's not, not as more, it's not as much of a comfort food, I guess sure. you could say. Um, it's a little it's not really much work there's a couple more steps to it but it's yeah it's just it's just delicious man like yeah i mean i i love ham 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 in general is probably my one of my favorite cured meats like of all time and i think like with venison like it just adds so much more complexity to it which is awesome um 
but man, I could I could eat ham. Have you heard of a uh, buckboard bacon? Yes, I've I've been wanting to make that stuff for like around I don't know close to five years, and I still haven't made it. I made some recently, <laughs> and it lives up to the reputation. Uh, Is it good? Yeah, it's super tasty. Um, yeah. yeah, I cured at the same time. I did. Um, I did. We had uh, what last December? No, not last December. Last May, in one of our pig camps, the the guy who was down there filming for us, Jack, he uh, he shot a super fatty sow, and so he took some of the belly off of it, and I brought it home. You know, I don't know, probably like a twelve by six piece, and uh, I cured it using the same exact cure that I use for the buckboard bacon, and actually, so buckboard bacon traditionally comes from the shoulder because uh, you're using all those like kind of sinewy cuts in there and you know thinking through like history of of bacon those are the cuts that the folks making buckboard bacon are going to get versus like the belly is going to go towards like your more wealthy people um and so i didn't use the front shoulder um i actually used the uh the bottom round um because I too, I was like, I wanted that like long bacon cut, and I see everybody. There's so many bacon recipes, venison bacon, and it's just like everybody's taking ground meat and packing it in a pan, and then putting the cure in there and slicing it. This is completely different. It's very attuned with like a ham, uh, and people would probably. Yeah. I know there are people that will argue with me that it, I made a ham and not buckboard bacon, uh, but I don't care. It was like I cut it super thin <laughs> and fried it in a pan, but I fried the wild pork bacon and the buckboard bacon side by side and uh i actually preferred the buckboard bacon more i think it was pretty it was pretty tasty really? um but i'll uh I'll, I'll share that recipe uh soon when it's time it's going in a special project <laughs> yeah i'll have to check that out yeah <laughs> um no that's awesome man front shoulder hams i love it and then here's one that like I, I think about it. It's funny because I wrote in the show notes like Holy Fusion, uh, your venison neck taquitos with coconut white miso sauce. Like, how did you end up with that? <laughs> I, I I think that was one of the probably a twofold. It's probably me walking around the grocery store and piecing stuff together. But at the same time, um, the food truck days, I had a Latin American uh, street food truck. And my business partner uh, for the restaurant that had his food truck, um, he was Vietnamese and he had an Asian truck. And so he kind of did like tacos and uh, authentic Vietnamese food and Thai food. And once we formed the restaurant, we did kind of fusion food. So my brain tends on some of my recipes kind of scream that, I guess. But, yeah, I was, tend to like pair Latin American food with Asian food sometimes and I've just found that like miso and like crispy corn chips or tortillas just taste awesome together. <laughs> so I can get behind it. I like, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of taquitos anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I lived in San Diego for a while and one of my favorite things was to go to like the uh, okay. taco shop on the corner and get, uh, get rolled tacos at like two in the morning when I was coming home from being out and about. Uh, <laughs> So that man, sounds great. Yeah, I can. I can. <laughs> it was. <laughs> uh, but this this is definitely a, a step up, which I like. I think. I don't. I don't know. You see, I think you see a lot of like Latin and Asian fusion in parts of South America, 
but I don't think to that extent that I've seen it, which is cool. Yeah. So I don't know. Adam, thoughts? This is your like realm. I feel like you. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've always found that uh, food matches well latitudinally. Yeah. Uh, so when you get the same countries on the similar latitude across the world, the the flavors fuse together really well. Uh, the similar plants kind of grow. Sim- people kind of live similarly a little bit more latitudinally than longitudinally. And uh, it's harder to fuse like Scandinavian food with Latin food. But when you yeah. start fusing it with like Thai food or Indian food, like the, those flavors seem to go together much better. Uh, so yeah. I always kind of approach things like that, like the sticking kind of to like a latitudinal bands across the world, and it hasn't disappointed. It disappointed me yet. So that's kind of my approach to to fusion. And I think from the sounds of Larry's got it on, on point there. That coconut miso just blew my mind a little bit. Well, now now you've got my mind running like. Now I feel like I'm challenged to make Scandinavian food go. <laughs> yeah, go yeah I'm sure you could. So you, <laughs> sure you could give yeah, it a go. You, you might see something weird come up next week. <laughs> That's awesome. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so, next up. Uh, I'm just for everybody that's listening if you haven't discerned yet I just wanted to talk about Larry's recipes with Larry out of my own (laughs) self-satisfaction so um, (laughs) we're we're just gonna keep doing that no there's there's some good there's a lot of good nuggets here Uh, and hopefully it's it's inspiring folks to sort of think outside the box which is another reason I wanted to like let's talk about advanced cooking techniques because really we're talking about like like you said Larry pushing the limits a little bit like let's uh let's let's play around and and there's going to be some people who like to live in their wild game box and there's some people who like to live on the edges and some people who like to live outside that's cool wherever you're at it's cool but today we're (laughs) we're on the fringe Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. (laughs) <laughs> All right. The first one, uh, I had to practice pronouncing this name a couple times. So, smoked goose leg ham okonomiyaki. I hope I nailed it. Um, yep. Is a Japanese pancake. So, we'll start with what's a Japanese pancake. Uh, I mean, traditionally, it's, from what I've read, is you can use it as a, a savory pancake, but it's kind of a vessel to hold different kinds of meat i've seen them made with like shredded meat i've seen them made with seafood um and basically it's a thicker a thicker savory pancake um i've seen them with cabbage in there uh multitude of different vegetables and um 
most of the time they're topped off with with nori uh some bonito flakes i don't know if you've seen bonito flakes if you ever watch a video and they kind of they kind of dance on top of it when they're warm um huh. yeah it's it's it sounds complicated really but it's, my girlfriend or my wife out <laughs> yeah it's they're funny to look at yeah. just little aliens <laughs> but it's yeah it's, it's generally just a, a big savory thick pancake you know um it's the name the name make, makes it sound more complicated than it is i guess that's fair yeah I mean, i'm sure in japanese they're like very straightforward it's pancake justin yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah it's cool like it's it's a vessel for if you do check out the recipe it's it's a vessel for like uh like i said seafood any kind of shredded meat i'm sure you could work in sausage if you wanted to um i can't remember what i put on mine i think it was uh was it the tonkatsu sauce the bulldog sauce maybe i'd have to look that it up pretty here. killer if you haven't bought that um I know that uh, the use of the goose goose leg ham. So, how long does it take to cure a goose leg? Probably not very long. Uh, I think I did that one in like three, around three days. And I, I did opposite of what I usually do. Most of the time, when I smoke, I don't like the flavor. I usually will smoke after a braise. So I I ended up doing that in reverse. So I smoked that one and then braised it to, to, to get it tender, but I tend to go the other way around. And just finish it off with a, with a little bit of smoke at the end? Yeah, um, I kind of picked that up uh, in my catering days back in the day. So if you cheat and kind of slow cook a, like a pork butt first before you put it in the smoker, some people would put it in the smoker in the oven, but once you get everything kind of broken down, to me it absorbs more flavor or more smoke. So I would do that with the game you know try to get it tender and then throw it in there you have to baste it a little bit with the water the cooking liquid that you use to braise it in but it keeps it moist and you get more of a pronounced smoke flavor uh it it comes out to me it comes out like a wet muddy smoke flavor when you do it the opposite way mm. um, it's still good but it, it's not as prominent clean smoke to me i think yeah man i've been watching so many uh folks talking on social media about uh, about smoking game meats and everyone's complaint is the dryness and i think too it's just like folks try to approach it the same as like domestic meat which has got a lot more fat and excuse me it's almost like you're doing almost like a reverse sear on it but with smoke which i think is pretty cool um which would eliminate too of like some of the drying out if you're you're not putting it in there because essentially even though people are smoking it, they're smoking it at a high enough temperature that the fat, any moisture that's in there is rendering out completely, which is leaving it super dry. Yeah, and th- this allows you to smoke it at a low, a pretty low temperature. Yeah, because it's already cooked, so you, you don't too, have to worry. It's super tender. You're not trying to cook it. Yeah, you could almost like just cold smoke it. Yeah. Yeah, you could cold smoke it and be fine. Just char it, you know, if you wanted to afterwards. Let me see. I was trying to look to see what you put on. Uh, oh, there it is. Top with nori, bonita flakes, uh, cube pie, mayonnaise, and bulldog sauce. What's bulldog sauce? So they have a few different ones. They have um, their version of like Worcestershire sauce. Mm. And then the one that I use, I think it's called tonkatsu. It's, they put it on meat and uh, vegetables. Yeah, yeah. But they have a meat vegetable, a fruit one. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's a Japanese sauce as well. So Nice. 
Sounds tasty. Have you um, traveled to Japan or any of these places, or do you find yourself exploring the cuisine through restaurants, or do you just kind of uh, online, um, like f- find, like explore through the ingredients, everything online through research and books? I've done a decent amount of traveling, but um, I went to Thailand for three weeks. Um, been to Cambodia. Um, some of the best Japanese food I have was at the airports. I didn't realize that some, you know, some of the best Japanese food you can get are at the airports. Um, that was pretty killer. Uh, did a lot of Latin American traveling. Um, that's my that's my favorite cuisine, uh, probably hands down. So I did a lot more traveling there. I may I tell you like uh, Peruvian food and like uh, Panamanian food and Costa Rican like whew, there's some like. There's some tasty things there. Yeah, I love all of it. <laughs> well, speaking of, this is a great transition. So I've got, well, not only does this recipe take me back to my Coast Guard cutter days, but it's a uh, it's Latin inspired with your uh, Cubano Cordon Bleu. Uh, so um, I I love a good chicken Cordon Bleu, but what's a uh, this cubano cordon bleu made with pork right i think it was wild pork yep and that so yep so i uh um so i I try to treat it like um you normally would uh i think i marinated it in some mojo and uh and then fry and then basically made it like a cordon bleu but used the ingredients for a cubano inside of it and it was kind of a combination of me living i lived in south florida and the florida keys in miami for a while so that was another big reason why i got into latin food and um and a a combination of that and my coast guard days from coast guard culinary school and the big thing there was cordon blues and hamsters they they looked people (laughs) called them yeah called them hamsters and gerbils and i was like (laughs) but uh but yeah, I don't even know where that came from. And I think I saw somebody cooking a cordon bleu and I just like popped in my head. I was like, oh, you know, I remember people na- ragging them on the Coast Guard. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking about cooking some Cuban pork. That was one of the big things in my food truck because I cooked um, Cuban pork every week and kind of did a spin on that a lot. So I think it's great. It makes so much sense. I too, like, I like a cordon bleu, but like there's still some things that are lacking. And I think like adding the pickle and the mustard and those things into it like gives it a bit more like flavor which makes it more exciting to me because that's like it's a good flavor and if and if i put that mojo aioli sauce on the website that stuff is killer man i I had that on my cuban sandwiches on the uh, restaurant and the food truck and it was it was probably one of our best selling items so instead of having like a traditional mojo you dip it in i just kind of like worked up a, a mayo for it to basically cut the knee to having the mojo out oh i was just looking here mojo aioli fall inspired cuban sandwich oh my gosh that looks so good i have to make your uh make your mojo uh aioli that sounds awesome yeah my mind's whirling right now yeah possibilities <laughs> this is <laughs> just hear something's like ding 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 ding, ding. See, this, this like i said adam this episode's for us <laughs> Yeah, yeah, screw everyone else. This is for us. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll break up the recipes a little bit, and I'll talk uh, a little bit about the sort of like a myth busting. I like to do these because uh, I think it's always great. And I saw your mention of it on a post. 
with uh so everyone says place your steak in the pan when you're searing it and leave it and don't touch it but you have a different approach and you're like that's a myth what's what's your approach it's that's a myth unless your your meat is is wet and your pan's not hot enough and it'll stick i mean it, it could possibly stick anyway you know never, you never know what's going to happen but if if you put your meat in the pan and just kind of wiggle it and it doesn't stick you can you can actually move that around because most pans unless you're cooking with like a super hot pan are going to have hot spots and cold spots especially cast iron um and you can kind of move that around in the pan and, and hit different spots of the pan to get more even browning and you're less likely to char you know little spots on your mm. meat um, i actually saw that um from uh, Magnus uh, Favelson, uh, probably I don't know eight to ten years ago, and I saw him do it, and I started cooking all my steaks like that, and it just you get just like a nice even uh, clear or you know it's it's a nice brown crust without any any charring on it for the most part unless you do something wrong. <laughs> that's fair. No, I think that's good. I think you brought up a great point too of like making sure that uh, pans are hot enough. I think people get intimidated, like my pan's too hot, but I think with searing, like, it's hard. I mean, you think about it, you, you bring your grill to what, like five, 600, 700 degrees in order to grill on there? Like, why wouldn't you get your pan equally as hot? So. Yeah, I get mine rocking hot, and then um, kind of another myth is they're like, don't add too much fat to your pan because that'll minimize you getting a crust too. Like I, I add more fat usually to my pan than most people. Um, I feel like that helps. Yeah, could be just me, but I don't know. I think it I helps. It, it helps enable that Maillard reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny actually. I just cooked a pork chop yesterday in my cast iron, and I didn't use as much fat as I normally do, and I didn't move them around like I normally do because there was two in there and they took up kind of the whole space and uh due to the hot spots in the flex of the chops there was big spots that didn't get uh seared so there was like some beautiful browning and then there was like a couple pockets where that didn't get uh, any of the browning at all and uh yeah so that just a case in point that that a little more fat in there and moving around more would have been uh beneficial to them for sure i hope you prompt promptly disposed of them yeah, I chucked them right in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I've got a couple more I want to talk about, and I think we're we're good on time. But this one, this is another one of those recipes that I think is, um, from my perspective, like definitely pushing the edge. Uh, but lobster and prosciutto stuffed venison, I like it. Uh, I like it a lot. <laughs> How did you come up with that? Yeah, surf, surf and turf, turf, and turf. turf. How did you come up with that? And is that... Oh, man, that, that was probably... My, my other question, It was that... That was another... Sorry, we're going <laughs> to interrupt okay. each other. Was that... Uh, was the prosciutto yeah. duck prosciutto, or is it just regular? That was goose prosciutto. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, Canada goose prosciutto, yeah. Um, that was another, that was pretty funny. My mother, my mother-in-law was coming into town. She eats meat, but she's, she like adores wild game, like deer and stuff. She just thinks they shouldn't be harmed sometimes. And, uh, so I was like, let me try to find another way to convince her to eat deer. And I was literally at, I think I was when I was at Whole Foods or something, they had lobster tails on sale. And I was like, man, 
let me see. I was like, I really love prosciutto and lobster. What else can I do? And I was like, man, I'm just going to take it home and, and figure it out. Then I just literally, I came up with it and made it within an hour, basically, of the time it took me to come home and get to the grocery store. But yeah, I mean, it was... I, I want to do a spin on her for for surf and turf because she likes seafood. Um, she she lives out in Kansas and it's I mean she can get lobster tail but not as readily as as we can get it around sure. here. And uh, yeah, man, just just wanted to do a cool spin and and get my mother in law to eat some steak. But uh, but yeah, I mean I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. Like if I would have take take if I would have taken my time, if you see the video, like it's not perfectly cooked. Like I would have. I don't know, probably roll it up earlier, set it. I mean, something like that. I don't really sous vide much, but you could sous vide it and then, and then, you know, get the, the venison steak more evenly cooked. But, but yeah, man, it was kind of a, not a joke, but yeah, it was, I don't know, it was kind of a, on a whim cook. It was, yeah. But I got a lot of backlash on that one. Oh, oh I could imagine. <laughs> There's people like, what? Like, the, like I just picture it's a little emoji of the head explosion. There's like, it's like people watching the reel and they're just yeah. like, their head's exploding. <laughs> yeah it was still like you said it was probably 80 percent good but the bad was like what are you doing i mean it was i think it was people that aren't used to eating like red meat because they were like why are you pairing red meat with seafood and i was like i mean kind of being a smart ass and i was like you never heard of surfing turf yeah. and i don't know yeah. but yeah it was it was just, it was just funny there, there's a, yeah there's a lot of people that mix seafood and, and steak but yeah it was it was pretty funny yeah I mean, Red Lobster, not putting this on the same level as Red Lobster, but Red Lobster's been doing it forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's got to be good. <laughs> um, so, well, the prosciutto is a good, a good transition point, too. So how often do you make? Do you make prosciutto out of, like, loads of things? What's your go-to? Um, definitely goose, just because it's a substantial size uh breast but yeah goose and duck man like i i would say 25 percent of that that i get each year goes into probably making prosciutto out of it and what what all you do with it afterwards you just snack on it or what yeah just snack man it's like i'm pretty simple with that stuff literally like crackers and mustard and like i'm i'm good like i'll kind of mess around with it like i i made one reel that was um we actually ate it the whole a whole breast that night for dinner but it was like almost like nigiri style so i'd cured it um i i'd, I'd cured it with some with some different spices and was just thinking like man this this is so buttery it you know it's good enough to be on the you know it's, it's sushi mm-hmm. you know so i ended up just slicing it very very thin <laughs> and making sushi rice and just glazing it with some high-end uh soy sauce and just eating it like that and it was like it was phenomenal i mean some people might think it's a little silly to treat it like sushi man but it, was, it really was great no i think that's that's mm-hmm. phenomenal that's awesome so what's uh are you just curing those in the refrigerator the yeah the yeah i'll cure those right in too. the house yep yep cool and what's uh so i saw one too you pulled uh you store them in like a cloth bag when you're curing them Yeah, I'll wrap them in, in cheesecloth. So after they're cured in the salt mixture, I'll I'll wrap them in cheesecloth and c- kind of get them kind of get them tight and just literally just any spot in my fridge. I've got a fridge out in my garage that I'll cure stuff in, but I just keep these in the house and I'll just tie it for butcher's twine. Any little spot I can find in the back of the fridge and and they cure up pretty pretty good. How long does it normally take? 
Um, about two weeks is good for me. You can let you can let it go longer. It'll get a little drier and a little bit more funk to it. But two two weeks is is good for me. I mean, me personally, I probably wouldn't let it go more than four. Cool. Um, and. I saw on one reel you, you torch the fat on the duck prosciutto. Like what, what, what does that do? Um, that's that's it's it's a good flavor, man. Like I learned that from a chef um, at uh, Peninsula Grill here in Charleston. I don't know, like twelve years ago. Um, they, they would make duck prosciutto in there, and it's it just it gives a, obviously a, like a light smoke flavor, but it also makes it really creamy and and buttery. Um, with that fat it just releases a little bit of that fat and depending on if you put some stuff on there um seasonings to cure the to cure the uh, the duck um you can get some cool flavors the best one i made it was i don't know how much saffron costs these days probably an arm and a leg but i rubbed saffron all over the skin and cured it like that and then rubbed all the saffron off of it so you wouldn't burn it and then torched it back this is back in the day man that was probably the hands down best duck prosciutto i've ever ever oh, had man and it was literally salt sugar and <clears throat> saffron my mind's racing now. Just burning yeah. money, like. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably using the Coast Guard. I was probably using the Coast Guard's money. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't come back and get me. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, just joke, by the yeah. way. Um, no, we, we I, it was a joke. We had, we had killer budgets on there. Yeah. Man. Like I just. Yeah. You guys, so I, I was on a 270, Larry, so I didn't, we, we parked next to the the FRCs and the 110s, and like, I was always jealous of the of the folks that were on the FRCs and the 110s, because they'd be like, yeah, we have an open galley, we just tell the, we just tell the CS what we want, and they just go get it from the store, and I was like, that's great, I eat a lot of chicken. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts, man, like. Uh, if you budget right, you have so much money. I, I remember at the end of the month, I was literally putting, uh, I was putting filet mignon on pizza, just to to, to go through my money. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, so I think we've got time for one more recipe, and then we'll close out. But um, this one really intrigued me because I've never seen okra leaves used like this. Um, and so you took the wild boar and you essentially i think you put it in the slow cooker or the crock pot depending on where you're at in the world and you put the okra leaves on top of it or you wrapped it in i can't remember but i'm just curious about that whole process and like what what the yeah, end I did result it it. um yeah so i was kind of un- unaware of eating okra leaves for a while and a few years back um i do a bit of gardening and uh, i saw these uh okra seeds in a magazine it was mo- motherland okra and they're um, from from West Africa, and they're these huge, like twelve foot. They can get up to twelve feet okra <clears throat> plants, and the leaves are were supposedly phenomenal. I was like, man, I want to give this a try, and ended up getting them and cooking some up, and they were they were delicious. And uh, I guess it's a special type of gumbo too that they that they make out of those leaves. Uh, it's it almost looks like it's spelled gumbo. I think it's like G N U M B A or something like that, but. Yeah, it gives a good flavor, man. Like you kind of get that vegetal note of the okra, and then you kind of get not not a true slime like you would, but you kind of get remnants of that, you know, when you slow cook it like that. And it's it's good, but but yeah, you could put it in soups, stews, or or whatever. And the thought behind that was was I think I was thinking of like cochinita pibil, the Mexican mm. dish with the banana leaves. Yep. 
and I was like, oh, I got okra leaves in my garden, and let's try something, you know, run with that. That's cool. Did you detect, do you taste the flavor in the meat? Yeah, it's it's got, you've, you've got like a really clean vegetal okay. note on it. You know, it's it's not super intense, but it's it's good. I mean, I would say if you're going to make like a soup, if you're going to go above and beyond for like a stew or something, if you did that first, mm-hmm. and then you could use that braising liquid, plus you're going to get it even more into the pork, um, something like, a preparation like that would be pretty killer nice man that sounds phenomenal um that sounds really cool i like i'm intrigued so much by the okra leaves i don't know it just like i love i'm a huge fan of okra uh as well and like i've never i've never thought of like using the leaf but i mean it makes perfect sense um just like many things so man i will tell you uh this podcast has opened my eyes a lot which is good it's also got my wheels turning which is good because adam and i are about to finish up the recipes for goose camp so uh we have some fun fun things we're going to try to do there uh too so um what's the best way for folks to connect with you on social media or wherever if they've they've got questions they want to reach out or anything like that active on instagram um you can, I think I changed my handle. It used to be Wild Game Gourmet. I changed it to, to Larry White. Um, and my website, you could email me. I mean, I check my email probably 10 times a day. So Nice. Yeah, either one of those is good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I guess we'll do a quick quick around the room to close this out. Any uh, any last thoughts or misfires or alibis that we've got for, for the group or for the guests? Guest listeners. I'll get it right in a minute. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Adam, uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. Any, any last thoughts? Um, <clears throat> well, Larry mentioned earlier that sometimes when you put too much thought and effort into a recipe, it, it falls apart on you. And some of the best recipes are kind of off the cuff. So I think it's that's a good takeaway from this is to, you know, if you got a little bit of cooking chops, like to, to take inspiration from what you see, what you hear, and walk around the grocery store and, and go home and just try to make something out of it. And that's where most of my best meals have come from. It sounds like Larry's similar. I'm sure you're similar too, Justin. It's sometimes when you put too much effort and too much thought into one thing, it'll just fall apart on you. So, so try to be spontaneously creative and see what happens and sometimes magic happens so it's definitely worth it nice it's a good thought i like it larry got a last thought or anything you want to leave us with um well first off i want to apologize i feel like i totally fumbled on my intro (laughs) (laughs) i i hate talking about i hate talking about myself so yeah i kind of fumble my words anyway um but no man uh if anybody does follow me or want to follow me like it's it's i think it's all about having fun and you know getting out of the woods and you know working hard for your food and just having fun with your food and enjoying it like i don't know man it's uh i feel like people can be too serious these days with food or just anything in life man just i don't know if you see my page you'll you'll see immediately i'm just trying to have fun and then kick out some knowledge in a fun way and not be too serious man no i like it that's awesome um and to- totally agree it's it's funny because we we talked about like people being super serious on social media and all that other things like it plays into that as well like there's uh definitely lots of diehard folks with lots of opinions out there but i, I think you you hit the <clears throat> excuse me you hit the nail on the head 
what good is all this if you're not enjoying it? Like, it's just then it just becomes part of the regular grind, like day to day. So I think wild game is something super special. So just have fun with it, enjoy it. But uh, my my last thought. Let's see. First off, thanks for coming on, Larry. I'm glad we finally got to sit down and connect. Uh, I've absolutely enjoyed the conversation. Um, I hope all the guests have enjoyed it. But I know Adam and I have, so that's all that really matters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it's cool it's cool to learn your story and, and to, to chat with you about the recipe sort of more in depth and, and you definitely like you give me inspiration which is good uh, uh, to just like go out to and kind of push the edges because no, I, I can I can even fall into the rut of just like doing doing the same old thing kind of over and over so it's good to see uh, good people doing creative things that help everybody else be creative as well so uh thank you for that and then um i appreciate that oh, thank you. I'll, I'll say everybody else out there uh thanks for listening we'll we'll make the show notes available online we'll uh throw some links in there to all the recipes that we talked about that are up on uh larry's website and uh if they're not up there we'll we'll share the reel or whatever on uh on on instagram so you can see it and then make sure you head over and follow him on social media lots of cool content there Make sure you're following Adam to the Intrepid Eater and then uh, over at the Harvest of Nature page as well. Uh, get tuned in with all the fun, exciting things that we have going on in the world. And then uh, lastly, whatever podcast platform you listen to, please punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Tell us we're doing right or, you know, tell us what we're doing wrong. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv pursuing wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment